Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you! Welcome home. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. Me. <laughs> it's um, my birthday episode, so of course I had to pick a horror book. Hi, uh, genre junkies. This is Sandra. Uh, and this is Scott. And uh, we like to alternate between horror, fantasy, sci-fi, uh, other types of genre fiction. Those looked down upon by the literary elite. Um, and-, and yet our most popular episodes. Go figure. Yep. <laughs> Um, so, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about The Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Ward, and I'm so excited to talk about this book. Um, but before we get started, uh, yes, yes, it is Sagittarius season, a wonderful time, wonderful time to be alive, uh, to be a Sag, love it. (laughs) Um, Scott, did you want to share with the friends anything you've been enjoying? Um, I wouldn't say that I have been enjoying i tried something with you (laughs) and 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 noped out after two episodes because it just wasn't for me uh okay so i know exactly to which you are referring that would be yellow jackets which is a tv show on showtime uh the time of recording there's been four episodes out um so i have been highly anticipating this show very excited to watch it it has a great great cast um and it is a story of a girls soccer team from new jersey who went missing in a plane crash in 1996 and it's kind of a lord of the flies-esque what they had to do to survive out there Perhaps a little Donner party, perhaps a little, (laughs) you know. Um, And then also flashing back to present day, where we are now with the girls as adults. And I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, how their past is affecting them now, let's say. So I will say that the two episodes that I watched, I was very impressed with um, the acting. Um, The premise seems fun, Mm -hmm. but there's something about that show. I don't know if it's the soundtrack, if it's the way it bounces between storylines, if I don't know what it is, but it just fills me with an unbearable amount of anxiety. (laughs) It's It's so unfortunate. I was like, I was like twitching and shaking. It just made me so anxious. And I'm like, you know... I want to know everything that happens, Mm -hmm. but I want to hear it through a filter of you. (laughs) Yeah, with me just like doing a dramatic retelling, I guess, for him. Um, No, the soundtrack is great. It's a great mix of like some really creepy music and also some um, really cool 90s stuff as well. No, it's, um, it's a great deal of fun. It's absolutely captivating show and i'm so so here for it and um you know maybe some of my horror people can can relate to this it's so funny there's things where we forget that they can affect people differently than us like i would say this show is horror adjacent right it's not like straight up horror but it's horror adjacent horror fans would dig it um and it's like oh i didn't think about how this could fill a person with anxiety interesting write it down in my how to be a human notebook and move on (laughs) um 
So yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. Neil from the Cold Show is watching it with me, and hopefully Emma from Spooky Summer Party will will start soon because I need to have people to discuss this with. So let me know if you're watching it. Uh, we did also watch Marvel's What If. We started that, yeah, I which mean, is we're... incredible. And I cried during, <laughs> <laughs> and I cried while well, Santa cried. Uh, I cried in both of the episodes that we watched. Yeah. Uh, I real cried day. at the second episode. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that? It's no surprise. It's the, it's the Chadwick episode, um, his last uh, role. It almost felt like they knew when they made that. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think they knew. It it just seemed so kind to. I mean, not just the character, but the actor in a mm-hmm. way that was such a such a strong, you know, loving send off. Yeah, yeah. It's very poignant. Okay, now for the main event you've all been waiting for. Let's talk about The Last House on Needless Street, Catriona Ward. Blurbed on the front by Stephen King. A true nerve shredder that keeps its mind-blowing secrets to the very end. Sarah Pinborough on the inside jacket. The new face of literary dark fiction. Publishers Weekly. This masterful horror novel packs an emotional wallop that lingers. You will also see on the back, won't read them all to you, but blurbs from A.J. Finn, Joe Hill, Alex North, T. Kingfisher, Mike Mignola, Adam Neville, Rachel Housel Hall, Christopher Golden, and Paul Tremblay. <laughs> Just an absolute uh, list of... Who's who? Yeah. Yeah. Of superstars, of really. superstars. The new face of literary dark fiction. I like that. If somebody called me that, I would take that as a big compliment. So this is what this story is about. In a boarded up house on the dead end street at the edge of the wild Washington woods lives a family of three. A teenage girl who isn't allowed outside, not after last time. A man who drinks alone in front of his TV, trying to ignore the gaps in his memory. And a house cat who loves napping and reading the Bible. An unspeakable secret binds them together, and when a new neighbor moves in next door, what is buried among the birch trees may come back to haunt them all. The Last House on Needless Street is an immersive and shocking journey that will keep you guessing until the last page. So I just want to go back. You heard that right. A house cat who reads the Bible. She is a character. Hmm. Why did Sandra want to read this book? (laughs) Okay, I want to read it for all of the things and all of the hype about it. But I mean, there is a cat character. And it's a multi-perspective book. And Olivia is a perspective that we get to read from. Um, As someone who's obsessed with cats, I got to tell you, she nailed the cat voice. She really did. (laughs) Really, really did. I saw a lot of stitches Yep, producer stitches. Um, She obviously loves cats, too. So let me start and say, wow, wow, wow. this book. Um, absolute, absolutely an obsession. Uh, I, I, I kind of caught some of the ideas that were, that were being put down pretty early on, mm-hmm. although it still has a lot of surprises and the way that it tells the story is so there's, there's points in this book where I felt a little um, unseated, unhinged. I, I, like my 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 mind was not working correctly, and there's little uh, breadcrumbs throughout that just kind of that kind of messed with my head in a way, in the best way. Right. Um. It's so well done. Um. The twists 
are fascinating and I am I'm satisfied with. It makes me want to learn more about some things. Uh, absolutely an obsession. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, this was an obsession for me too. Uh, for a, a book that has a lot of hype and that I was excited about, you're always kind of like, where are we going to go? Uh, but no, we. this was great. And yeah, you don't want to talk too much about certain aspects of this book without spoilers. This is, a hard, is, the, this is the hardest book I think we've ever read um, yeah. to do a non-spoiler section on. Right. But um, her writing is just so good. It's so good. And just the nature of trying to piece together exactly what's going on um, I had, I think Scott and I will talk about it in the spoilers. I think we maybe had some of the same inklings that, you mm-hmm. know, that what was happening, but, um, but then more <laughs> happened is <laughs> kind of the best I can say. But, um, you just like, you just want to know, you just want to consume this book and you want to know, you want to know what is happening to these characters. Um, and her writing has this great sense of urgency. It feels so natural. It feels so real. It feels so believable. Um, I can't say enough about her writing. Again, a first time I've read this author and won't be the last. So this is this is a book that I actually broke one of our rules and that we don't normally talk about books when we're reading them. Sandra was ahead of me in this book. And, um, you know, there was a certain point when, one, I kind of had an idea of what was going on, but I also felt like maybe that was just me being a little bit, you know, crazy in regards to what was going on in the book because of the way it was being presented. And I just had to get some of my thoughts out. Right. And of course, Sandra didn't confirm or deny anything. But no, no, this never. this is a book that I think will be helpful if you're reading it alongside somebody as well. Uh, it's kind of one of those things that you kind of are going to want to talk about. Yeah, it's almost impossible to not need to sit down after reading this and talk about it with somebody, either in person or (laughs) over the internet. I mean, you just like you have to talk about this book and this author and how um, how slick she is. Mm -hmm. She's slick. I don't know another word for it. She's just slick. Uh, Let's see what what audience are we are we thinking of for this? You know, I've been thinking about this since I finished reading the book. This is kind of the the score that I have the hardest time with. Um, I finally settled on a broad appeal. Uh, I think that there's there's, um, a psychological terror involved in this book that the masses might have trouble wrapping their heads around. But um, there's a lot of people who are interested in this type of subject matter. Mm -hmm. And even the ones who aren't into horror or horrifying things are really going to be interested in the, 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 the depth that is found in this book. Uh, I agree. I read a lot of um, dark thrillers and even ones that we don't end up talking about on the show. Uh, That's one of my favorite things to listen to when I'm out like trail running and hiking and stuff is like really dark thrillers. And I I really see this seeping into mass because sometimes those dark thrillers become mass appeal books. I think it's close. Yeah. Yeah, So I think it really seeps into it because... um, 
it's not, uh, gosh, this is one of those books you would have a very hard time really pigeonholing a genre for it. And the author kind of says what this book is in the afterward. We'll talk about that in the spoiler section. But um, it is dark. I would say it's a bit edgy <laughs> at times. Uh, but there's a huge psychological component. There's a lot of heart to it. Um, a tremendous amount of depth. It is scary. But it's um, it's not so scary that I think you, you know, would have to sleep with the lights on. But I could be wrong about that. I'm twisted. I don't know. I, I think it depends on, on where on, you know, where you're coming from. I could see this absolutely mm. deeply disturbing some people based on their own experiences and, and, and you know, what they're bringing to the table. Oh, always. That's what makes things uh, uh triggering yeah. for people well, speaking of which we'll have a little trigger at the top of the spoiler section which we do sometimes because we don't want to we don't want to put it here because some people don't want to hear that stuff mm-hmm. uh they, they don't care they'll <laughs> they'll take the triggers as they come and then uh we also don't want to like just you know make people listen to the spoilers if they just want to hear the triggers so it'll be little and at the top something i wanted to like in this book too mm-hmm. um as far as the the kind of the the fascination the the headspace that i think that you can come into this expecting to start anyway mm-hmm. is actually a little bit of silence of the lambs um this is not you know a story of buffalo bill or the tooth fairy <laughs> yes no i'm just i'm just gonna leave it at that it's kind of us it's kind of a silence of the lambs tone it not story right but tone. Interesting. And I do I do see what you mean. And I think you'll be able to expound upon that in the spoiler section, maybe. A lot more. Um, gosh, it's so it really is super difficult to talk about this too much without getting into spoiler territory. Um one thing that I love is uh this is a multi-perspective book, and the voices are incredibly distinct uh from chapter to chapter. Very, very distinct. And it, it shows her incredible talent as a writer, kind of like you said, like you sink into these different characters and like, I would know without looking at the top who who's telling the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. Um, I don't want to talk too much about characters again, but the character of D I really liked reading um, her perspective of things. Uh, very, very interesting. It's uh there's kind of a little bit of a sistery theme in this book, I'll say, which, as you guys know, I have a sister, Banda, who you all know, a uh, friend of the show, <laughs> occasional guest host, and we're super close. So when there's like sister things, they tend to kind of hit me hard. Yeah. Sibling yeah. stuff. And I really appreciated Dee's um, sibling voice in this, let's say. And I was in this for Ted. I found Ted to be deeply fascinating um he's uh you know he's tragic but um complicated it's very complicated yeah it's compelling um reading uh you know his thoughts and his experience right oh i think we've got to move on to the spoiler section what do you think let's please go so as you guys know this book is an absolute obsession for us we were we were frightened we were confused (laughs) we were excited and thrilled um so take that with you if you're not gonna listen to the spoiler section take into account there is a cat character (laughs) if you love cats and that there is um 
mysteries to unravel. And if any of that sounds compelling to you, then we encourage you to go read this book because we think a lot of people will like it. Hey, Bookworm Buddy, don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're at it, find us on Instagram at Genre Junkies. Okay, welcome to the spoiler section. Let's get these trigger warnings out of the way. I think the most succinct way to put this um, is that there's bad stuff happening to children in this book. Yes. Uh, Child abuse of different uh, variations, but that can be really hard for some people to read about. So know that going in. And the final trigger warning that is a fairly large spoiler, but not putting it all the way out there yet, is that the main character does suffer from a very real debilitating mental health disorder. Okay, so now that we got that out of the way, if you're still here, <laughs> this is this is what this book's about. This is what it is. Um, this book is about somebody who has disassociative identity disorder, or uh, known as DID. Now... Before anybody grabs the pitchforks. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was kind of worried about and and was afraid I might do the same for a while. S- sure, 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 sure. You're obviously here because you've read this book. So I'm joking about the pitchforks. But um, this book is a book about survival. To paraphrase the author, to paraphrase Catriona Ward. This is not a book where she tried to exploit poke fun of or play into any sort of horror tropes about people with disassociative identity disorder. She makes it very, very clear in her afterward. Um, She is fascinated and inspired by people who have DID. And um, so am I. So are a lot of people. I think it's absolutely incredible to hear people talk about their day-to-day life with DID. Um, and I find it very inspiring. And she has her receipts too of in her bibliography. This woman has done a lot of research. She did not want to exploit people with DID. But as she was basically writing this book, she realized these characters are a system. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that I really appreciate and, and you know, why I say I, w- I was kind of almost ready to pull out a pitchfork is ultimately she uses the tropes that exist, the hurtful representation of DID in the media uh, against you in a way, in, in, in a yes. way to, to tell the story. I was fully expecting uh, there to be at least, if not Ted an altar that was causing that was that was hurting these children. I was expecting it to be Ted and I was going to be disappointed right. in that with if that was the case. And I feel like she used that expectation whether you wanted it to be that or not mm-hmm. um against you to to really till the very very near end you're still expecting that to be the case. Right. So Ted didn't do anything wrong. Not a thing. Ted and um, Ted's, let's just call it the Ted system for lack of a better term. They are all just, um, they're trying to get through and they have a lot stacked against them, including the fact that the doctor that Ted is going to for help is hindering. Is is actually trying, is is using him as a case study and trying to and make it worse. And giving him expired drugs that have been like, 
um, decommissioned, basically. Because Be- they cause hallucinations. And he wants this, the bug man. He wants to push and poke and prod at Ted. And that's so insidious and gross. And, um, you know, I, I think there's most, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase this exactly. I would say most people in the therapy profession probably have very good intentions, but of course there's bad people in every profession. And um, I believe that there'd be people like there who just people like that, who really just kind of want to play God with somebody's mind. And I think that the bug man is not just a stand in for, you know, a few bad therapy, therapy apples out there but is a stand-in for the world is a stand-in for media yeah taking advantage of it i I want to poke the bear i want to prod it i want to make it do something i mean imagine the trust that um the system that she met with and had that interview with yeah had to have in her to not take this whole conversation that they had, this whole interview and this this research that she did and turn it around and make it into split, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. So I'm one of those people where I grew up watching and reading different horror books about people who had what we called back in that day, multiple personality disorder or split personalities. And the way that I had read that, it was pretty fictive. And I remember for a long time, the narrative was actually that it's not a real disease. And it's kind of like, maybe based on some things, but exploited for media purposes. Um, And then I came to find out about two years ago now, that um, no, in fact, it is a real, uh, you know, disease that people have. Um, disease disorder. It it springs from early trauma, usually at the hands of a caretaker um, or somebody that was supposed to be caring for you. And it's absolutely incredible what the mind can do. And I can see why a lot of people for a long time said it's not real because it's a hard thing for us to conceptualize. So they're probably like, well, no, this can't be real because I, I don't I don't know what to do. And I think she even brings up in her afterward, it brings up a lot of messy questions for people, especially with in a theological stance. Yeah. And to be clear, there are still a lot of people, including in the medical profession, the therapy profession, that still don't uh, accept it to yeah. be a real a real condition. Right. And I think those people are wrong <laughs> and, and, and um, hurtful. Uh, that's that's one of the things that you know even before this book like i I did start to learn a you know a lot more about did and became fascinated in it Um, we follow some youtubers that have it yeah there's some good ones you can just kind of search around on on youtube and you'll find some channels um and there's also some uh, uh, disassociated identity disorder is not a personality disorder, I believe is how it's been explained to me. But there are lots of other interesting kind of similar um, conditions. And those are all very compelling to learn about as well. And I always think it's interesting when you you shake off what you've learned from society or whatever, and you just listen to people tell about their experience, even with something that could be seen as taboo or hard to understand because at the end of the day it's going to make you a better person it's going to make you a better more compassionate person and i really liked hearing from the ted system in this yes um 
So that's what I thought too, is that I was going to have compassion for Ted, but that Ted was some kind of child herder, child killer or something. And to be like, okay, I get what she wants us to do. She wants us to have compassion, but this is still kind of villainizing people with DID. Nay, nay. Because then she flips the script on you and you learn it goes so much deeper than that. that Everything that he does, he's trying to... To do good. Yes. I mean... There is no... Okay, there is no physical person that is Lauren. Yes. And, like, there's... The the creepy date things are... I mean, it's not healthy. It's not great. But, you know, that whole scene is set up where, you know, he's, he's lured this woman to this bar and watches her and then follows her out to her car. And that's the end of the scene. Well, that's because little Ted came forward at that point but it was kindness that was showed to this woman yeah and it made them uncomfortable because they didn't understand what was going on understandably but he he was not trying to physically harm anyone and the reason that he was doing this you know there's there's a really strong theme again something that the author does kind of working like literally working against your own preconceived notions where it almost feels like he wants to find a woman to bring home and force to be a mother right that's what it feels like and no he's looking for someone one to love but two to take care of to take care of you know take care of his system yeah, to take care of his littles in his system. Um, and this is also, you know, this isn't something that the Ted system would normally do, again, except for he is on those drugs and stuff that's making it really weird and confusing. Mm-hmm. And he's not getting real actual help to work through the parts in his system. So it's, again, kind of like Ted's not getting the help that he needs. Um so I would like to talk about D a little bit as well. Take a break from the, the Ted's. Yes. Um, I like I said in the before section. I'm very I'm very interested in D's story because I again there's something about that sibling connection that really hits home for me and the fact that D wants to make this right so bad wants to make amends so bad. D feels responsible for what happened. And yes, on paper, D is responsible, but she was also a kid and she's, things happen. Things happen. And she's, I mean, this is just the way that went. And it's not really that she needs to atone for anything. And then we see that D has actually disassociated a little bit herself and kind of um, rewritten some memories. Yes. And to be clear, it's not a, it's not a, not dissociative identity disorder no, specifically, dis- yeah. but it is dissociation. Yes. Um, she's, you know, put herself somewhere else. She's remembering the memories that she wrote and not the ones that happened. Right. I was not expecting D to be an unreliable narrator. I was expecting, you know, especially once I figured out that I think that there was an alter situation going on. Mm-hmm. I expected, I respected by the nature of it for there to be that on the Ted system side, but I wasn't expecting that from D. Right. I was taking, you know, what she was giving at face value. Right. And that really, um, that shook me. Yes. Um, D and Ted are both severely traumatized people trying to survive. 
and um, they've suffered and they're trying to survive. And it's not always good, clean, perfect, or healthy, but I'm very fascinated by human survival. Um, I'm, I have the utmost respect for people who, like we said, have DID because those people are true, true survivors. And it's absolutely, um, it's emotional to think about. It's emotional to think about. And you just have so much compassion, or at least I did, for the characters in this book. I had so much compassion for them. I really appreciate that the only person who who I felt was irredeemable mom was not alive for any of the book. Mom, though. I mean, I mean, really just awful awful human being but you know you got you 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 knew you got to know what she did right but you were never put in her mind which i actually i yes because that wouldn't been appropriate in this book you're spending so much time um in the minds and experiences of of these people who have gone through so much hurt and pain and trauma and it creates an environment of you know, of making you feel uncomfortable yeah. with with experiencing that with them, and to be put into the to the mind of someone who is actually taken you know their problems and and made them violent and and horrific. It wouldn't have been true to the feeling that was left at the end of this book. Right. And in another book, I wouldn't have minded being in mom's mind. C- certainly. But yeah. not in this one where we're focusing on the survivors and the those who suffered and, and the those hope. who survived. And the hope, yeah. And the, you know, trying to claw your way out. It would have been like a cheap shot to put mom's perspective in there. That being said, she wrote yet another incredibly compelling interesting character with the psychotic mother all of all of her characters are so goddamn interesting yeah um they're fully realized they're fully actualized mom has this history she lived in you know this britney part of france i assume where she was from this small village and she maybe even made up that her dad was a serial killer and she was the serial killer or what and she she goes across the pond and i i mean like it's she's scary yeah she is scary i hope here okay here's here's a small gripe i hope that she was making that up about her father and that she was actually telling the story of what she was doing in a dissociative way yeah because i i'm sensitive to like okay uh mental illness can be genetic Yes. Um, there are arguments whether or not it is biological or if it is inherited, um, you know, by actions. Mm-hmm. But th- there is, there is a, a, you know, there definitely is evidence of that. But I'm not super happy with the idea of okay, her father was, you know, had was her her father was a murderer she was a murderer and now her son is not a murderer but you know has did it just makes me feel a little bit icky oh no i i don't think that was the author's intention at all. i don't think so either i don't think i don't think it was either um it just make it you know she said in the end you know all mistakes are mine and i appreciate the way that she puts that in her afterward um so kind i i didn't love that aspect of it 
I didn't, I, th- that, that idea was just something that made me feel a little bit weird. Well, I, I think because they even throw it out there that, you know, it was probably about mom the whole time and not even about this fictitious grandpa. Th- I mean, the fact yes. that it's stated is kind of like, that's probably true. Yeah, I think. Um, and I think if not, it's almost like mom, it's mom's folly because mom's like, well, I have this because my dad had this and well, you have it too. And it's like, no, don't put that on your kid because your kid actually doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. So it's all, it all comes back to, to mom actually that's a very good point um and that actually speaks to the the you know nurture as opposed to nature in a way because okay even if so let's say her father was and you know just create the the line that he saw something in her whether it was there or not that made him think that she was like him and raised her to be to be the same and she tried to do the same with him. Right. I mean, but he's not. She she is clearly she I mean, I'm not going to be a therapist and diagnose her because it wasn't done in the book, but it's pretty clear that she has um sociopathic tendencies when she says that she feels nothing for her son. Right. She doesn't she feels no love or anything for her son, but she has a responsibility. Right. Creepy as fuck. What a creepy thing to say to somebody. Ugh. Um, I was very also captivated, of course, when we were in Lauren's perspective, because Lauren is very complicated. And now we because you're the whole time thinking that Lauren is somebody that she's not. You think that Lauren is the popsicle girl. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, so you think like you're kind of going along for most of the book thinking that Mm -hmm. and you you know just kind of like at that first twist you think oh and so that's you know it's lauren who's the one who's got did and like it's it opens it up so widely of course after that when we when we realize the scope of ted but um it it i felt so bad for lauren and i couldn't understand how lauren could ride a bike and also have no feet well, he said in one chapter that she used her hands. She pedaled around with her hands. Right. But you would have to be only inside to do that. And isn't there a part near the beginning where they're outside? She's the only time I remember her being outside was the mall incident. And the camping. And the camping. Yes. But he carried her that whole time. He right. had to carry her. Yeah. It, there's just interesting little um, Easter eggs as we're trying to get to know these characters. The rug. The rug the is a rug big one. was a big one. The rug and the um the broken, not broken items on the mantle. Yes. Yeah. Um so I, I'm curious because um there is definitely a point in the book uh, about, you know, I don't know, two thirds of the way through where it is very where it's like very strongly stated that um that Olivia is an altar is one of Lauren's altars. Yeah. And that, you know, Lauren is you know, kind of has her own system. Before that, I really thought that Ted and Lauren and Olivia were all one character. We're all we're all part of one system. Uh-huh. And uh, that I kind of I kind of started get, getting that idea and putting it together, especially when D is hearing uh, Lauren and Ted talk, but there's you can't see anything. Yeah, there's like. I think that it's very important that she's hearing this kind of thing. Did you kind of get that too? Or did it surprise you that 
that Ted was part of the system with Lauren and Olivia. It surprised me that Ted was a part of it. I thought, oh, okay. I thought Ted was his own, his own system, and Lauren was her own system. I see. Yeah. See, one of the thi- one of the the pet theories I was playing with, and again, I don't, I wouldn't have been happy with this, but one of the one of the theories that I had was that, um, you know, Ted had DID and uh, was, for lack of a better word because this isn't a real thing, collecting altars from the children that he killed. And so Lauren was was Laura was Lulu. Yeah. And he killed Lulu but kept Lulu with him. Kind of like he kept his mother with him right. in a way. Yeah. Um that's where I thought it was going, which is not a thing. <laughs> that's that is not a thing. <laughs> uh I shouldn't say it's not a thing. I haven't, you know, spoken to you know, everybody with DID, but from everything I've heard, that's not a thing. Right. That's not exactly like, oh, I killed this person. Now I collect their yeah. <laughs> being. Like, yeah. <laughs> but that's where that's where I was going with it. And then I'm like, oh, okay. So this this really turned things on its head. So Laura exists, you know, the body of Laura exists, and Olivia is this, you know, the way it's described at that time, a horrifying, like animalistic turning of her to like be Ted's pet. I was really disturbed by that. Oh yeah. It sounds creepy as that you're like, Oh God, now I feel really bad for this little girl that she had to do that. So so once you kind of get that cleared up, you start to feel a little bit better better better. about the whole situation. You don't feel like you need to rinse your brain with bleach quite as badly. It's no Olivia is, is the protector is, is a protector in that system. Yeah. Um, so many things <laughs> make sense. Like once full reveals come around, uh, one of them being like, you know, the fact that Ted was out front of a Seven Eleven, probably being little Ted begging for candy or during the murder. We know this. And it's like, yeah, maybe there could have been some inept police work, but it's like, no, we, we know Ted didn't do it. But at the same time, then you're introduced to Lauren and you're like, oh, f- he did it. But it's no, no, he didn't. Yeah. Um, there's another one too. the whole scene with going to the mall and trying on the leggings and leaving the ransom note in the leggings. That's why the girls were like, this is sick. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This the sales uh, associate, because they saw a man, just a man mm-hmm. going in there and doing that to a pair of leggings. Because before I was like, if you see some little yeah. girl like that, I mean, not I mean, people do not do the right thing and call the police. But I'm like, are you kidding me? There's a girl right there. But there wasn't a girl right there. That was the thing that really confirmed to me, you know, and this was before the the the, the quote unquote false reveal of right. of Lauren and Olivia. But that was what confirmed it in my head that Laura was part of Ted's system was because no one, no one, I'm sorry, no one would see a random man and a little girl yeah and see that and think oh that's just a girl playing a prank and get mad at the father i mean the thing absolutely is absolutely not don't say no one because there are people who are that fucking yeah, dense you're but right. but um but yeah but i mean it's it's hard to believe it is a stretch mm-hmm. it is a stretch in the book to believe that that would be their reaction yes um uh i also really like nighttime yeah like nighttime he's a protector obviously and comes out and finds them food and does what he has to do and i pictured him as a cat as well kind of a cat. i think creature. nighttime was a cat nighttime was a cat uh just all black no white stripe yeah. like uh like olivia just well all i also black. kind of picture him a little bit like a skunk 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know. And I don't know that nighttime fits a total animal body, but. But one of the things I really want, I, I, I'm going to reread this book because there's clearly a lot of scenes that take place in the house that are not in the house that are in, that are in the system's internal house. Yes. And you can, you can get those things based on the, it's, it's like when you know it, it's very clear based on the color of the walls and the color of the rug and things like that. Because from what I understand, the real walls were green and the real rug was blue. Maybe. And somewhere from his childhood. And, but, but in his home, in his, in, in, in his system's home, uh, the rug was orange. And I don't remember what color the walls were, but it's very clear that that many of the scenes take place inside of the system and not in the well in the upstairs, right? So, which was a some really cool um, ways that she demonstrated how a system could perceive things yeah. in this. And I thought that was really cool. One of the analogies you hear a lot is like the driving the car analogy, but this one makes a lot of sense too about being upstairs, downstairs, on the stairs, you know, coming towards each other. There was a lot to think about. Um, uh, yeah. Lots of good Easter eggs about, you know, she mentions the colors and all those little things a lot, very smart. And then one other one that I, I realized when things were starting to look really like what's going on here is when he's hurt, Ted's hurt. And Lauren's like, Oh my gosh, he's crushing me. And Lauren's trying to like talk to Dee Dee. But of course, Lauren doesn't know Dee Dee. And like Dee Dee, like hears like what probably just sounds like Ted talking in another voice. Yeah. And it, it makes a lot of sense. Cause you'd be like, Dee Dee, just look on his back. She's on his back. And it's like, well, makes sense why she doesn't see a little girl on his back. Because there wasn't one. Yeah. Because I was like, she can't be that dense. It's got to be clearly a girl in a bag on his back. It, uh, so I, I want to talk about where things end up for for Ted's system. Because... It's important. Um, I feel like... And again, I'm taking some of this from, you know, my 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 reading about DID prior to even reading this book uh the 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 combination of like sadness but but happiness of um of alters integrating mm-hmm. uh specifically with night olivia was really well captured agreed um the the fact that and i and part of it was because i'm sure part of it is because uh you know, they they started going to therapy and part of it is because they weren't taking that medicine anymore. Um, but the fact that that the whole system starts interacting with each other and starts recognizing each other. And there's still that there's still that aspect of there's other altars that they don't really know. They don't really know the names of. They don't necessarily see, but are yeah. there. But that that growth and there's something that she says in her afterward that that made me cry. <laughs> I made me like real cry was that when she said that DID doesn't isn't a disorder when when it starts in childhood it's a survival mechanism mm-hmm. it's an incredibly important and powerful thing right it only becomes a disorder later in life because you know when you no longer 
need that protection. You, right. you don't no longer need that separation. You know, dealing with the system and, and learning to to accept your system is when it becomes a disorder. And I, I that made me I'm tearing up right now. Yeah. Because, you know, it, there's yeah. It, no, it's um I think that's it exactly it's um it's kinda like we all have things that we've done or we do to help us cope. And it's like personifying those things into people and that makes it feel kind of like very emotional um i love that ted has a friend (laughs) his neighbor the man with the red beard and the dog i love that he has a job i love that he has a therapist who he says is nice this book isn't necessarily about it's happy or it's sad or it's this or it's that it's about hope yeah is really it like the end of this book is it has hope in it and you know some and that there's some things like Didi didn't have a great end Didi had a sad ending and you know ted had a sad life but there is still hope there's always hope one other thing about this book that really made me think um just the way that this book moved me there's a lot of people who take advantage of the popular thing um, for a while, it was having Tourette's, and suddenly there's a lot of people who have been proven to not have Tourette's, who pretended to have Tourette's for a while for clout. Weird. And more recently, there are there. It's wonderful that there are a number of people with DID who feel safe enough to come out and share their experiences with the world, and I I love them and I appreciate them, and I want to hear their voices. But there are also a lot of people out there who are faking it, who are out there for clout and taking advantage of the real pain and the horribly traumatic experiences that people have gone through and using that to pretend or even they may even believe, which is its own thing in of itself, which is its own pain. And I feel for those people, but say, but to self-diagnose themselves um, for clout. And when you hear about the real pain that comes from it and you read a fictionalized story, um, depicting that real pain and that real struggle, it just, it makes me mad. Mm-hmm. It makes me mad that there are people out there who use that pain for their own likes. It's, it's so sad and it's definitely some kind of disorder in and of itself absolutely yeah but um yeah it's weird. there's a lot of trends where people like to self-diagnose and and it becomes like cute or a quirk and it's really it's really weird can we be done can we be done with this can we be done with this game of self-diagnosing and like trying to like be i don't know make it into like some sort of weird quirk of your personality. On the other hand, I will say that there are a number of things that come around on social media that can be very enlightening. You know, sure. You you hear people. There are people who have since now been truly diagnosed with ADHD, for example, that would have never gone in to would never have gone to see somebody to get that diagnosis if they had not heard the true experiences of people with ADHD. Well, the key word there is diagnose. Exactly. Not self-diagnose, but you actually go in. So, 
again, it's really important to be able to hear the true experiences and, and for people to for, for people, and in this case, systems to feel like they have a voice and can share that with the world. And there may, and I'm sure that there are people out there with dissociative identity disorder who don't know it, who hear from people who know it, who have been diagnosed with it and share their experiences and it unlocks something for them and they go and get help. Yeah. And that is important. And I don't want to, I don't want to discount that at all. Agreed. But, um, Get diagnosed and don't don't be out there for clout because this is real. It's very powerful. It's a powerful, beautiful book, but still being thrilling, exciting, and scary. And for that reason, um, I will give it 10 cats out of 10. Uh, this book, I am not an I am not own voices when it comes to DID, but um it is something that when I learned about, I became fascinated and and very moved by i feel like this book does justice to that disorder i look forward to hearing what other people with did have to say about it oh me too yes and so you know barring anything in the future hearing from from own voices people who point out something that we were not able to catch i am giving this 10 cats out of 10 well said, well said. And um, it sounds like, again, Catriona did her, her homework and her preparation and means this book um, has nothing but admiration for people with it. So, And I hope that that ends up being true for people who have DID. That brings us to the end of another Genre Junkies episode. I've been Sandra. I've been Scott. We have one more episode this month before the new year and we're going to do our wrap up and then have a little sci-fi horror moment coming for you and with an author interview is the plan so anyway thank you scott thank you sandra take care and please keep reading past your bedtime